0: bolero jackets by the end of the call rachel had chosen their complete wardrobe right down to the ballet flats berets sunglasses and silver earrings that was weeks ago and now on the day of the event she wonders if the whole idea isn't in bad taste a russian dog is orbiting the planet and she fears her little prank will be judged as frivolous and unpatriotic she broods about it all morning unable to tell Marty that a troop of Bohemians will be arriving at nine sharp during after-dinner cocktails. Marty has planned some fun of his own, a little demonstration for his guests and colleagues. He keeps it to himself while Rachel bustles among the caterers. By five, all three floors of the pre-war penthouse smell like lilies and bread, and it jolts his senses awake. He stands by the French doors on the top floor, out of the way, watching the rooms burnish with late afternoon light. There's a fleeting sense of nostalgia and satisfaction as dusk pours through the space. Everything seems impossibly solid and real at this time of day and year, every object flushed with significance. Growing up, he'd always found this room distant and museum-like. The woody, gloaming interiors and the background of seventeenth-century Dutch portraits felt oppressive. The lacquered oriental boxes seemed austere and aloof. But now that these things belong to him, he finds comfort in staring at them in that hour before the first lamp is switched on. A life contained, parsed into objects. When he closes his eyes, he can smell the linseed oil in the seascapes or the Turkish prayer rugs that somehow smell like warming hay. He pours two fingers of single malt, and anchors himself in the Danish leather recliner—his hamlet chair, Rachel calls it. Caraway, the ten-year-old beagle, comes trotting from down the hallway, scampers across the parquet floor, his metal tag jangling. Marty drops one hand and lets the dog lick his fingertips. And that's when he sees Rachel through the doorway of the galley kitchen, moving among the caterers in their crisp white aprons. Head bent, one hand idling her pearl necklace— She's conferring with such diplomacy that it could be a matter of national security they're talking about, instead of rice pilaf and wild salmon. It occurs to him that she's always been at her best in the throes of preparation—a trip, a dinner, a party. Lately there's been the quiet fatigue they both ignore. She's constantly on the verge of a breathy intake of air, and whenever she walks into a room, it seems she's had to pause out in the hallway to first gather herself up, like an actor walking on stage. Sometimes when he comes home late from the office, he'll find her asleep in the living room with all the lights out and Caraway curled beside her. Or he finds empty wine glasses around the house, in the library, beside the bed, and Russian novels tucked between cushions or left out on the terrace to bleach and dog ear in the weather. She catches his eye and comes toward him. He rubs behind Caraway's ears, smiling up at her. The last five years, he thinks, have taken twenty years off the clock. He turned forty in the spring, a capstone to his stalled-out career and their inability to bring children into the world. It occurs to him that he'd started everything late—law school, a career, the first overtures toward a family. Inherited wealth held him back, stunted him until his early thirties. Seven years, up or out— was the conventional wisdom for aspiring partners at the firm, and now he is in his seventh year. He sees it in Rachel's gaze as she draws nearer. Why did we wait so long? She's eight years younger than he is, but less resilient. Not frail, but cautious and easily bruised. For a suspended moment, he thinks she's approaching with a staid, wifely kiss, one of those rehearsed gestures she occasionally plucks from the folds of her depression— Instead, she tells him not to get dog hair on his dress slacks. She passes close enough that he can smell burgundy on her breath, and he suddenly wonders what the caterers think of her, then despises himself for caring. He watches her as she heads down the hallway toward the bedroom and disappears. He sits there until the room bloats with darkness. Eventually, he gets up and walks room to room, switching on the lamps. A little before seven, Hart Hanover, the building doorman, calls up to tell the Groots that he's sending up Clay and Celia Thomas, the first of their guests.